to Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. My name is Laura Ciceri and I'm the founder of Supply Chain Insights. And this podcast is designed for the supply chain leader who wants to be in the know. We tell it straight and we try to get the greatest thinkers in supply chain to join us on this program. Today, I'm interviewing Tony Uphoff and Tony is really working on what does Made in America work for Thomas.net. So Tony, welcome to the show and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hey, Laura, thanks so much and, and really appreciate you having us on. Yeah, as the president and CEO of thomasnet.com, man, I, I get access to a staggering amount of data every second a procurement professional or an engineer at MRO is sourcing a product or evaluating a supplier on thomasnet.com. So it gives us this remarkable window into the industrial economy. I've been with Thomas for about four and a half years. I'm considered the rookie. This is our 123rd year. We're still a family-owned business. Fourth generation is uh, is involved in the business. So I'm considered the new kid with only four and a half years into a 123-year-old company. When I'm uh, when I'm not running uh, thomasnet.com, I enjoy surfing. Laura, as you can see in the video feed here, uh, I also collect and play a guitar poorly, but I, I do more collecting than playing these days. Well, you know, the last person I interviewed, John Sicard from Canaxis, plays drums. So maybe we could get a, uh, you know, old contingent and have the supply chain, you know, band. I like it. the supply chain band. I like it. Yeah. So I know who Thomas.net is because I covered you when I was an analyst at AMR Research. But prior to that coverage, I really didn't know you. And I think that many procurement organizations know you, but maybe the vice president of supply chain doesn't. So in a nutshell, tell the audience a little bit about what you do and the value you bring to supply chain. And then let's get into the whole discussion of Made in America. You bet. And it's thomasnet.com is the uh, is the actual name and, and platform itself. You know, interestingly enough, Laura, while we are a very modern data platform company today, and we have a two-sided marketplace, of buyers and suppliers of products and services in uh, and around manufacturing. What we do today is very similar to what we did 123 years ago. We provide vital information on products and available suppliers for custom manufacturing. And we organize all of that information, we validate it, and we present it. Think of it as a data set in the way that professional buyers, particularly procurement and engineering, look at data to make informed decisions. And then we simply create a market by bringing those two together. So through the magic of technology today, our core platform of thomasnet.com can create a whole series of, of engagements from requests for proposals to direct connections between buyer and seller or buyer and supplier in that regard. So in any given year, this year, we're closing down on about $204 billion worth of requests for quotations processed through our platform. So we play actually a very vital role uh, in North American manufacturing economy. Which is a valuable service. So let's get into the heat of the matter, right? Made in America. Sounds good. What does it mean? You know, we've got contract manufacturers, we've got two and three tiers of suppliers, we've got the Biden initiative to focus on made in America. It sounds good, but without track and trace and authoritative identifiers, how do we know where things are coming from and what's the definition? 
Boy, and isn't that the $64,000 question, Laura? It's absolutely the right question. So back up just a half step to go forward here, right? The idea of a Buy American Act is not new. It feels new because the average person, perhaps even people in manufacturing, hadn't really heard much about it. And there's a reason for that. It was a very loosely administrated, there were, your question implies a ton of holes in, well, what is actually American? Does that mean it was manufactured here or just assembled here? How does it work? Who administrates this? What level of transparency do we have? What's happened over the last several years is we've seen a resurgence over the last decade or so in US manufacturing. You're starting to see reshoring, which had been growing over the last decade, really now start to accelerate. A lot of reasons for that. But if you think about this idea of a Buy American Act, what has changed recently is really far more transparency in exactly how that is administrated. So think of this almost like tax law. So you think every few years they redo tax law. And what the reason, primary reason that the government does that is to take out the loopholes. Well, think of the update, which is really the first material update to the Buy American Act in 70 years allows us to take the loopholes out. So a couple of data points, and then let's open up the conversation. At face value, the US government spends $600 billion in annual procurement spending, and about half of that, or $300 billion, is in manufactured products. So things ranging from helicopter blades to trucks to office furniture. As a matter of fact, a great you know, Jeopardy question is, who's the largest purchaser of consumer goods in the world? It's actually the US government. So honing and focusing that purchasing power is a big part of what's going on here is to strip out the lack of transparency and really focus that. And that's gonna have a very strong impact on US manufacturers, particularly small and medium-sized manufacturers, but really across the entire supply chain. Without visibility and authoritative identifiers, how do we know what's really made or sourced in America and what really defines the, you know, source of the atoms of the goods? I, I, I'm not still not clear. So help me, Tony. Yeah. So if, if you think about, you know, the, the, the concept or the act, the Buy American Act has been around for a long time. It just has had a lot of loopholes to it that really were never administrated. They're now going to be administrated. So as an example, Buy American now says that products bought with taxpayer dollars must substantially all be made in the US. So if you look at what's actually happening today, today products could qualify if just 55%, just a bit over half of the value of their component parts was manufactured in the US. So there's going to be a two-step process here. One is that threshold is immediately jumping to 60%. And over time, it's going to be phased to 75%. And that you know, is, is done for a couple of reasons. One, to allow current companies to adjust. You can't just flip the switch because there's suppliers that are in place and you need to give them a little bit of time to increase the use of American-made components. And this change is going to obviously open the door for a lot of small to medium-sized manufacturers. The administration of that law, they're actually spending money on the administration of this. So, you know, very similar to what you would imagine. I, I hate to keep comparing it to the IRS, but looking towards folks that can actually administrate this and do the exploratory work to assure that 
if we're working with a supplier that is supplying to an American institution, that it's predominantly American-made goods and components that are going into that product or service. Okay, so help me, you know, let's say I'm an automotive manufacturer and I source parts and those parts are sourced by the automotive parts supplier and maybe they have three and five tiers of supply chain. How do I define what American is, right? Yeah, I think you're going to need to show, again, if, you know, you're going to need to show that those tier two, tier three suppliers are sourcing at least 60% of the components of what they're providing into the system by American manufacturers. So there, there, is going to be, there are going to be requirements where people are, you know, companies are going to have to showcase that supply chain. In many cases, as you know, um, there's been a lack of probably willingness to showcase supply chains, but specifically here, what we're talking about are companies and organizations that are benefiting by government purchasing. So, you know, there's going to be a mandate in there. And these mandates have been around for a while, but they have not been administrated, Lauren. You're putting your finger on, gee, how, how easy is it going to be? to be able to get that transparency into the system. I would argue it's easier today than it's ever been, but I think there probably will be some fits and starts in terms and, and probably some embarrassing anecdotes as we've already seen in government related supply chains by purchasing goods from foreign countries that we've learned the hard way uh, actually had some problems to them. Yeah, it's not so easy. You know, when I think about free trade zones and I think about the industrial manufacturing across the Mexican border, or I think about, you know, what has happened where, you know, my research shows that 60% of companies don't know where their second and third tier supply is coming from at all. You've got where the company is domiciled and then where they manufacture. So it has a lot of nuance that I don't think we're ready for. What's your perspective? Yeah, I, I I would respectfully disagree with you. I, I think you know okay. you're 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 looking at where where we are coming from, and and w- with very good reason. And I understand that the big from to shift that's happening in the context of you doing that type of research is we're seeing a convergence between the physical supply chain chain and the digital supply chain. So this isn't going to happen immediately, and these are forward thinking programs that we're looking at here. We're not going to throw a light switch and everything changes. But the ability for us to have visibility into those supply chains is getting better every day based on digital technology. I don't know when that point in the future is going to be, but there is going to be a point, and I would argue in the near-term future, where the point you just made is going to be inexcusable. Imagine a public traded company that under scrutiny can't, can't tell you anything about their supply chain. Imagine somebody supplying to the government that says, I have no idea where my you know, uh, tertiary suppliers actually manufacture their products or services. There's going to be a date in the very near future where that will be inexcusable and will restrict those companies' ability to do business, number one. But number two, the technology available today, let alone over the next couple of years, to provide more visibility. And to be clear, Laura, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with your fundamental point. Hey, um, policing this is going to be very hard. You are spot on with that observation. I think the policing of this is going to get easier. And I think it's going to happen through the really remarkable advances, particularly in digital technology, that is opening up the ability for people to understand and to monitor what's happening within their supply chains. 
All right, let's shift gears. Okay, so we've got a lot of work to do. And I agree that a lot of digital information is available, but I don't see people using it all. And I think that we have to have a reason to change. So what are the steps that you would recommend that supply chain leaders take to get ready? What can they do to merge digital and physical? Think big and start small. I, I think what's happening is, you know, you and I are, are bearing witness to the, the accelerating digital transformation of a $3 trillion industry, aka U.S. manufacturing. You know, this is really remarkable in, in watching it, and, and we're going to see healthcare go through a similar paradigm, if not at the same time, but, but with similar fits and starts. So you are seeing a, a remarkable digital transformation, which started traditionally, as you know, Laura, in, on factory floors. And it's continuing on factory floors with cobots and CNC machining and, and, and additive manufacturing and all kinds of remarkable you know, advances in advanced manufacturing technology. Now the use of data in those systems is starting to transform the, the way we think of industrial sales, marketing, and distribution, which includes logistics and, and the management of supply chains. So my advice to supply chain management managers that are, are really at the early stages of this is to think big, think in a broad schematic of, you know, how would you start to frame in your mind this convergence of a digital supply chain or your digital supply chain and your physical supply chain and start small. Start with a single supplier. Start with somebody who likely has a mind meld with you in terms of what's in the range of the possible. There's tons of companies offering services around these areas, but I mean, down to the level of RFID tags and sensors and things like that, they're becoming ubiquitous, but relatively inexpensive cameras. We're seeing examples of supply chains that have now got video uh, literally monitoring the entire supply chain today. You're seeing a lot of that work going on in the semiconductor industry. Um, so I, I, I guess two, two you know, things there. One is think big, meaning plan for this and plan for the future, but start small. Take a project that you can wrestle to the ground and, and try something. Don't make it mission critical that if it doesn't work, you're, you're, you know, you're gonna put something at risk. But I think those are the, the best bits of advice we have on this in, in terms of getting a start on the process. Only 9% of companies design their supply chains and most companies don't know where their second and third tier suppliers are. What are the key questions that they should ask to start? Uh, you know, say, think big, start small, like the VP of supply chain that may be hearing this for the first time. What are the right questions? Because I find getting clear on the questions is part of tackling the art of the possible. Yeah, I think you have to start with a common point of view on this. And I think the Buy American Act is a trigger event for, for companies. And think of the Buy American Act as not a restriction. Think of it as a, a, a path to increased business. So this is an opportunity for you to work in a different way and increase the throughput of your business. So with that mindset, right, of, of approaching this, I think what you need to do is to start to go to those suppliers and to develop a list of questions about how to put together the mosaic, right, or the waterfall of the suppliers that they're working with. It may also cause you to talk to some suppliers. And if those suppliers are either incapable or um, unwilling to share with your information, if you share the goal, 
that, hey, we want to be able to increase our North American business and particularly in the United States, doing that requires that we get 60% of components built in, um, helping a uh, secondary or tertiary supplier understand how our tier two, uh, tier three, pardon me, how they uh, benefit from this would be a good start. So two things, how would they benefit? What's in it for them? And then developing a set of questions, Laura, of, hey, we need to have an understanding of, you know, our goal is that at least 60% of the components that you source that go into what you deliver to us are made in America. And then working with them to see if you can, at a reasonable level of understanding, get uh, assurance on that. So I think, you know, help your, your suppliers understand what's in this for them and what you're trying to get accomplished. And then secondarily developing a hopefully painless set of questions uh, that can be answered. Again, un as I'm saying this, Laura, I'm very well aware of the fact that this could cause a ripple effect among suppliers. That's why we think this is going to be a big opportunity because we think those smaller suppliers that are either A, already doing this or B, moving towards doing this stand to really benefit at a time like this. Awesome. So made in America technically is United States, correct? It is. Okay. So it's geolocation within the 50 continental United States or the District of Columbia. Uh, does it include Puerto Rico? Um, that's a great question that I don't know the answer to. Okay. I don't, I, I don't I, know. I, I have can't read find... the whole, yeah, I've read the whole Buy American Act and that was something that I didn't pick up from it. I can, I can certainly uh, respond back to you so you include it maybe in show notes for your, okay. for your I listeners. Would, I would like that because I can't get clarity if it includes Puerto Rico. Because if you think about Puerto Rico, you know, 40 to 50% of the actives from pharmaceuticals and 40% of medical device are sourced out of Puerto Rico, I cannot Absolutely. get clarity around that. So yeah. I would yeah. love to have your response on that. So we got to build a guiding coalition Think bid, start small. And one of the things that I think is really critical is helping to close the gap between procurement and manufacturing at a leadership level, because I find that one of the things that's happened in procurement is we've made procurement really efficient, but on an island unto itself. So when I go into organizations, many times the people in manufacturing and procurement are like on separate planets in terms of alignment to supply chain excellence. So I think one of the first things that business leaders in supply chain need to do is get a cross-functional group in the room and say, this is a point of a guiding coalition for us to align, to design, and to think about the atoms and electrons differently. We've got lots of issues, you know, our ports are congested, you know, we're not good at getting data. Uh, our systems can really take a step change in terms of capabilities, but we've got to really design outside in and we've got to embrace our suppliers in different ways. So I agree with you, it's a great opportunity, but I think it's not as easy as flipping a switch and we've got to really question, what does America mean? What does value mean? What is the role of the supplier? What does this mean for our supply chain? And I appreciate, Tony, that you're trying to help. So please get back with me with any information and I'll keep the listeners posted. Will do, Lauren, again. Thanks for having us on. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Until next time, this is Laura Ciceri with Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. And today I'm interviewing Tony Uphoff and Tony comes from Thomas 
net.com. Thank you. My name is Laura Ciceri, and I'm the founder of Supply Chain Insights, and I want to give you a personal invitation to join this year's Supply Chain Insights Global Summit. Now in its eighth year of doing this conference, we designed this for a unique experience for supply chain leaders to learn from technology leaders to think differently and drive new outcomes. We're hoping that you can make it on September 7th through the 9th in Franklin, Tennessee. In the conference, we handpick all the speakers and we design the conference for a unique networking experience so that you leave to build a guiding coalition for change. We hope to see you there.